Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is naming day. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, like many of our recent podcasts, this one comes from the Christmas pageant that was a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. One of the things that jumped out to me was the naming day that happened for both John the Baptist and Jesus, which I'm going to be honest, I don't really recall hearing much about in the past. So what is this? What is this naming day? You wouldn't have heard about this very much, partially because it's not in our lectionary very much. Okay. The reason why it doesn't come up very often in the lectionary is because the naming day for Jesus is the lectionary for the second Sunday after Christmas. Okay. And the time, because of dates and when things fall and when Sundays may fall. Okay. We may not get a second Sunday after Christmas before we get to the baptism of Jesus. Okay. And so it really depends on how the weeks kind of fall. So you would jump right from the Christmas service to Epiphany, potentially? Pretty close, depending upon what day Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are. You may only have one Sunday after Christmas before you go on to baptism of Jesus and then Epiphany. Okay. So it happens really swiftly because Epiphany is always January 6th. Yep. It's the 12th day of Christmas, everybody, if you're paying attention. 12th day of Christmas. So if you want to observe Epiphany on a Sunday and say, for example, Christmas Day is the 25th is a Sunday... Mm -hmm. Then you get one Sunday after Christmas between Christmas in those 12 days, Mm -hmm. right? So the second Sunday after Christmas is when we get the naming day of Jesus and when we see then Simeon and Anna, which is the very next section in Luke. So we stopped our Christmas pageant at Luke chapter 2, verse 22, verse 23 and beyond you get to hear Simeon and Anna. Okay. That was actually one of my questions is that, does this naming day thing happen before the presentation or is it part of it? Before the presentation, because what the naming day is for both John and Jesus and for many, many other boys, it's on the eighth day of life. Okay. Right. And these are things that were not highlighted in the scripts for the children. Okay. So Mm -hmm. eighth day of life, because... You want to make sure the child is going to live. Sure. Right? We're just being honest about the reality of child mortality, infant mortality. Especially at the time this was written. And in the time in which they were living. Mm -hmm. Right? Infant mortality was very high. A child needed to make it through an entire week before they were given a name. And so on the eighth day, children were given a name and male Jewish infants had their bris. Yeah, I can see why this is not going to come out much for a children's sermon. Right. So it was their circumcision ceremony. And that's when people were coming. People were coming to be present for the circumcision, the cutting of the covenant, with this new male descendant, this Jewish child. And so the people who gathered, so in our Christmas pageant, people came for the party for the naming day for John. Sure. And people came for the party for the naming day for Jesus. But it was their days of circumcision. Okay. So does this story only show up in Luke or does it show up in the other Gospels as well? It's really fascinating because it does not show up in Matthew. And so John 
and Mark don't have infant narratives at all. Okay. So Luke and Matthew are the two gospels that have infancy narratives for Jesus. And we've saw this year where Luke's goes and Luke's is very much from the perspective of Mary. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, it's from the perspective of Elizabeth with Elizabeth and Zachariah and baby John. Mm -hmm. But in Matthew, we don't get Elizabeth and Zachariah and baby John. We get the genealogy of Jesus, and then we get the infancy narrative from the point of view of Joseph. Okay. And the naming of Jesus is still a part of the Gospel of Matthew, but it's not the same kind of narrative that the Gospel of Luke carries. Is it just like a footnote? No, it's, there's not as much about like paralleling okay. John and Jesus. What was really interesting to spend time with this year as I was preparing the pageant was to notice the paralleling between John and Jesus and the angel Gabriel being the messenger who showed up to tell these two families, mm -hmm. right? Gabriel tells Zechariah, and then Gabriel tells Mary that they're going to have children, they're going to have boys, and what they're going to name their children. That's interesting. And that doesn't, in the Gospel of Matthew, an angel comes to tell Joseph not to stone Mary, not to get rid of her, not to put her off, mm -hmm. but to trust her and to remain faithful. And so Joseph has that kind of visitation from an angel, but not in the same kind of way that we see it happening in the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> sure. It's fascinating to me that it's Gabriel, whom I'm assuming is bringing word from God of what these two kids are named and why that matters. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Because he, the angel, we actually don't know gender for angels, but in the angel, Gabriel says, I have been sent from God to tell you these things, to bring you glad tidings and to tell you that these things will happen and don't be afraid, which is, I mean... It's probably pretty terrifying. I would imagine. <laughs> Even so, if it actually looked like the, you know, happy, glowing, winged thing that we think of. Right, right. It'd still be a little freaky. Totally. Very freaky. And so Gabriel coming and saying, you know, I am a messenger of God and I have come to tell you these things. It's fascinating. And I found it fascinating this year to recognize that it was the same named figure who came to Zechariah and to Mary. It wasn't just an angel appeared. The angel identifies themselves as Gabriel. Well, and the other part of the story, at least specifically for John, that jumped out at me was that they had to verify that, are you sure this is what you want to name this child? Because it's not a family name. And it's at that point that he gives his consent. And that's when he can first speak again. Yeah. So it's a really interesting piece, right? Zechariah is told... By Gabriel that they're going to have a son and that he is to name him John. And Zachariah is like, what are you kidding me? I'm old. My wife is old. We can't have a baby. And Gabriel says, okay, you didn't believe me. So you can't talk anymore. And so Elizabeth gets to spend her entire pregnancy with Zachariah muted. <laughs> that really kind of sounds pretty glorious. <laughs> <laughs> so Zachariah is silenced for the time being because he didn't believe what he was being told. And when it comes time for the naming day, naming conventions of the time would have said that the firstborn son would be named after the generations previous. So the firstborn son should be named Zechariah. And 
they're clear because they've been told by the angel that this child should be named John. Mm -hmm. And so Elizabeth says, nope, he'll be named John. The whole community is like, wait, that breaks tradition. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense at all. Zachariah, what do you want the boy to be named? And they check with him. He confirms it, which shows his, at this point, after these many months, that he believes what the angel has promised, right? It shows his change of heart Mm -hmm. from this is impossible and can't happen to not only is this possible and can happen, but I will trust in the message that I've received over what I have known to be true in the past. And I will sacrifice my naming conventions. I will sacrifice what I have known for this new thing that God is creating and doing. And writes on the board, his name is John. And everyone was just, you know, in our Christmas pageant scene, it's murmur, murmur, murmur. Uh-huh. Um, it's this wonderful, like, wow, this is very different. Something is weird here. Something is off. Something is vastly different in the way that this is happening now than what we have expected before. And I think as much of anything that that's part of what that is supposed to show is that everything has changed in this moment. Are these naming days anything you've preached on in the past or that you've ever had read out in any of the services that you've been in? I haven't preached on it before, partially because there's actually not much of Zechariah and Elizabeth about John the Baptist. When we hear about John the Baptist in Advent, normally it's him when he's an adult. Older. You know, he's at the River Jordan. He's six months older than Jesus, so they would both be 30, right? Mm-hmm. Right, Because Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan at the age of 30. So these two men would be 30 years old when we really see John next. But we don't have in our lectionary cycle this section of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the naming section, which is part of why I wanted to pull it out for the pageant, because I think it's really fascinating. As much as we focus on and as much as we pay attention to John and Jesus and their relationship in Advent and in Lent, Mm -hmm. this is going to come up again, right? But the parallel between these two men, I kind of wanted to highlight it this year, and I don't exactly know why. I'm just trusting that we needed to pay a little bit of attention to it. Sure. And like I said, when it comes to the naming day of Jesus— We get to preach on Simeon and Anna so infrequently, like it comes up so seldomly in Mm -hmm. our lectionary cycle just because of timing. And I find them terribly compelling. There is something amazing to me about these two figures who have been waiting and faithfully waiting to meet their savior, who recognize him the moment that he shows up at the temple and proclaim their lives fulfilled by getting to see this infant. There's something about that that is incredibly compelling to me that I preach on Simeon and Anna more than I preach on Jesus being named and then being presented at the temple. Well, and I think part of it is there's no real naming day culture Mm -mm. for us these days. Like people choose the name of their child early and maybe do or don't share it with people depending upon what they're feeling like, right? But there's not a big thing that Mm -hmm. we do. Not in North American Christian culture. No. The other thing I've been thinking about as we're having this discussion is what those eight days would be like Mm. and how they might be different for Elizabeth and Mary 
who knew from the get-go that this is the name of your child, which also, I'm going to guess, gave them some sort of assurance that you were going to get through those eight days in a way that most other mothers at the time, what would you be calling this sweet little thing that you were hoping would live another five days to the naming day, right? What would those days be like? And how fascinating, what an interesting perspective, especially given that they were both first-time mothers. Sure. Oh, because that's even scarier. Right? At least it can be. No matter how old, like Elizabeth was elder and Mary was younger, but they were both first-time mothers. And so what would those, that's a really interesting thing to think about, Mm -hmm. is what those days are like. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. Do you wish that was something that was more prominent in our culture today? Some other sort of, we've made it this far other than, you know, waiting for the whole first birthday kind of thing? I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard for me to answer as a person who's never had an infant in my life. Like I've never given birth and I haven't taken care of an infant child. And so one thing that I can think of in ways that we can celebrate that sort of thing is our baptism days are absolutely days where we are being named and claimed. Mm -hmm. And so that's a day where we can kind of lean into that naming and claiming that is a ritual aspect to it. I think renaming for folks who choose a name, there is absolutely kind of a ceremonial aspect to choosing your own name. Sure. And doing a name change. And there are days and places where we do honor that. But the kind of marking of a promise... You know, they would say the cutting of the covenant, the day of God's claiming us as part of God's vision for the world. For Christians, that's baptism. Mm -hmm. And for Lutheran Christians, we do practice infant baptism. And so that would be in some ways kind of what we would have as the equivalent. But most people, some people don't get there until the kids are two or three years old. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know. I think... It's a fascinating question, and I wonder if there are families and people and cultures who do honor that more than just handing the name to a nurse. Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the handing the name to the nurse. That's funny because I know that, especially for me as the fourth child, they wouldn't let my parents leave until they had a name for me. Really? (laughs) it basically just came down to that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. How things have changed. Exactly. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Naming Day. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And whatever your name is, as you head into these next days before we are back in your ears again, may you remember that you are loved by God, no matter what. (laughs) 